0: You are listening to the message by Antioch Center for the Nations. For more information, please visit www.antiochcenterforthenations.org. Thank you. Even the title of this message is weird for me, so I'm just going to put that up on the, on the wall now. Um, I called it The Anatomy of Testing. Um, and this passage comes from one of my favorite passages of scripture. And I kid you not, I have been trying to preach on this passage for probably the past two and a half years because I just, I fell in love with this passage. And every time that I look at it, there's just so much into it. And I was telling, um, Praveena that I might actually consider possibly writing even a book just about this passage. It's just, it's just, you know, it's 11 verses, but it's, gosh, it's just so action-packed. And as I was going through it, I was like, at every word, I thought, I could make a message out of that. And then the next word, oh, I could make a message out of that. And it was like this for like every single word in there. So this was a little crazy for me. Um, uh, I also very cleverly uh, forgot uh, because I worked on this message uh, last night at 3 o'clock in the morning when uh, my son uh, lovingly decided to wake up um, because he's feeling very warm and hot, and needs to know drink a little bit more often. Um, and that was a perfect time for me to just sit down and, and crunch the message together. So I forgot to put in the um, actual scripture, but I asked Caleb if he would do that for me. So I don't know if he uh, that managed to, to, to be done. But um, the message comes out of Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. Um, and it's about the testing of Jesus. Um, and uh, if we do have the verse, then I'd love to put it up. If not, I'll just take you through it. Um, it starts by talking about the moment after Jesus is baptized. Um, Jesus is baptized, and right after that, he is led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. That's what's written in there. And he fasts 40 days and 40 nights, and then it says he's hungry. And at that moment, in that hunger moment, the tempter comes. And uh, famously, as much of, probably everybody here knows, He asks him uh, sort of two main questions and then puts another proposition his way. And the questions he says is, if you are the son of God, why don't you take these stones, turn them into bread, and then satisfy your hunger? And then you know, Jesus famously says that man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then he says, all right, he takes him to the highest point of the temple. He says, if you are the son of God, why don't you throw yourself down? Because it says in scripture, and now the devil's smart, he's trying to use scripture back at Jesus and says, it is written that he will guard and you will not hurt your heel or brace yourself against the stone. And then Jesus says, you know, it is written, do not test the Lord your God. And lastly, with the last ounce scrap of energy, the tempter takes him and shows him all the kingdoms in all the world and says, all of this. I will give you if you bow down and worship me. And of course, Jesus says, get away from me, Satan. It just says, Worship the God, your God alone, and no one else. Um, and at that point, angels come and attend to him. So this is the passage um, that I'm that I'm talking about. And um, why did I call this the anatomy of testing? Because um, as Christians, we will undoubtedly undergo testing. Um, that's just a fact. Anybody who's ever promised uh, any Christian that the moment that you become a believer, your life will be easy has led them into a cruel trap uh, because it is quite the opposite. Uh, in fact, I wish that I had been prepared for that second alternative. I wish that somebody had told me, really think about the choice you're making here. Because if you're going to follow, there's going to be all kinds of tests and things that are going to come your way because God doesn't want you to stay stuck to who you are. God wants you to move and grow. God wants you to use your talents for other people. Your life will stop being about you, and everything is going to change. And uh, as a single child brought up in a middle-class family, the amount of change that I had to go through was extensive. Uh, And I didn't know that, and it started for me really – the day that I got saved, because I got saved at a youth meeting on a Saturday night that I had gone to because I wanted to date uh, somebody that uh, was <laughs> went to this church. And that was my whole intention on going. Uh, she said, I go to this youth service. I said, all right, I'll go to whatever church service you're going to, I'll listen to the mumbo jumbo. And then after that, you know, whatever. But you know, if this is what you like, doesn't matter to me. So I went and I was pretty skeptical of the whole thing. But from the moment the worship started, then to the message, I was just transfixed and something and everything, every cell within me groaned for this relationship with God that um, this preacher was speaking about. And at the end of the night, of course, I gave my life to Jesus and I was transformed without knowing it. And just to save me the possibility of a destroyed Saturday night, I had planned to go to an Oktoberfest Uh, drinking night with my buddies after service. Uh, So I could say, oh, I'm sorry, I've got somewhere to go, and then I could drink the night away for whatever dullness the church meeting was. Um, Of course, I went to that Oktoberfest meeting with my friends anyway, but I was just so completely shocked and changed that I told every single one of them my choice. Said, I've chosen to follow Jesus. I've met God personally. And the craziest thing was I was making choices. Like I told every single one of my friends, I said, I can't drink tonight. I'm sorry, I don't know why, but I can't drink tonight. And everybody, all my friends were just so angry, so angry. And I thought, this is weird. Why are my friends just angry? Why can't they? If these are really my friends, how is it that my acceptance of God is such a rebellion, you know? It was just odd. I just didn't understand it. And the people that I was hanging out with were all sort of social outcasts, you know, like little punk dudes with their skateboards, people that were like anti-government, whatever stuff. That was the people that I was hanging out with. And I thought, you guys should understand this better than anybody. How is this weird for you? I just, I couldn't understand it. And they couldn't understand me. And of course, within a matter of maybe a few days, Um, All my friends abandoned me, um, and I was completely and desperately alone. And many of you might have had similar experiences, that you made a choice, and somehow it just led to all kinds of craziness happening in your life. And this process of these moments of being alone and being tested by all kinds of things, being proved, is kind of what this whole message is about. So I'm going to start with the, the first part, and um, I've them- thematically put this together also as kind of like a Father's Day message, which is hilarious, um, but uh, I think a lot of my relationship with my father was pretty much based on us going through trials together, and out of those trials came a lot of our moments together, a lot of things together, so um, I, I'm going to do this in honor of him um because i just it just felt like something that i should do within the within the message and something that i wanted to honor him with um and so uh here we go part 1 the wilderness um, now this this idea that says that jesus was led into the wilderness what this wilderness was has always puzzled me because i think there's two kinds of wildernesses really um there is one wilderness uh that is sort of metaphorical, and one that is literal. And the word in the Greek uh, literally means a place that is deserted. And when I did research on this word, a lot of the commentators in the Bible like to say that it is quite ironic that in the place of aloneness, of desertedness is exactly where God operates. And the word in the Greek um, is called eremos, and it properly means an uncultivated, unpopulated place, a desolated, deserted area, or figuratively a barren, solitary place that also provides needed quiet, freedom from any disturbances, um, a desert. And uh, this is exactly what, what that felt like. And for Jesus, this is actually the same thing. He kind of isolated himself, went into this wilderness and a lot of us will be tested in moments in which we are alone. And you see this pattern in scripture too, because pretty much, I'm not gonna say all, but there's a huge number of people in scripture that are tested in moments and they are completely and utterly alone. You know, famously, Abraham was alone looking up at the stars, being told that he was going to have more descendants than the earth. Uh, you know, you got people like Jacob that was suddenly faced alone and wrestled with God. Um, Ruth, uh, Esther was alone. You know, all these people uh, were alone. And I, so the first part is this. The, the the place of testing will come in your life in a moment where you are alone. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're physically Alone, it might be that you are with people, but the testing is usually to do with you on a personal level. It will be, and it will bring you to a level where you are suddenly faced with yourself. And like it says here, free from distractions, that there's nothing else you can focus on but you and yourself. And my father loved uh, to do sk- the kind of sports that were individual, so it brought me up playing tennis. Uh, which is pretty much you and the ball against another opponent. But uh, a lot of my coaches always told me, your real enemy in tennis is the ball. That's who you're trying to beat, Because the ball is the only person that's trying to like cut in your way. It's the one that you got to chase. So your enemy is the ball. And the other enemy you've got is yourself. Um, I had the, 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 the possibility uh, to go play golf uh, with Steven. So he's been sort of teaching me a few basic things. And um, you realize rather quickly that the thing that really like comes against you in a sport like that is really just you, your, your, your emotions, what you're bringing to it, the questions you're asking yourself, what you think about yourself, all this kind of stuff starts to like come in. You know, and you realize so many different things about yourself. God, I'm so impatient. God, I just, you know, there's so many things that I can't do right. Then you start thinking, man, I'm so like such a self-pity kind of guy. You know, all this stuff starts coming to you. And so every time that I was doing stuff with my dad, it was always very individualistic stuff. We went running together. That too is the same thing. It's about a test that is personal. And so he's always helped me to navigate these things, helping me to sort of worked through my own self in all of these sort of sports and areas that, that we did together. And I see this in the same way in the testing of the faith that God, as a father brings us through these moments where we are alone. There's nobody else there, but you and yourself and helps you to guide you through this area. And I, I heard a very famous preacher say this second part says mantles don't fall in the promised land. They fall in the wilderness. And this was meant as a reflection of the Israelites walking in the desert again, another wilderness. But that's not really where all the mantles fell. Was it not in the promised land? They fell in the wilderness. That's where people got blessed. That's where people got anointed. That's where Joshua sort of earned his position. It was all in the wilderness. That's where Moses sort of started his journey with God to meet God's glory. It all happened in the wilderness. And it's definitely most definitely going to happen with you this way. And if you're facing right now a wilderness moment, let's just call it that, just know that in that wilderness moment is a mantle, is something that's coming to bless you. You might not know how long it takes, because the 40 days and 40 nights, you can't make a law out of that. You don't know how long it's going to take. So it might be a week, a day, an hour, might be years. But eventually you will get a mantle because we know that God's promises always work for our good, our good. Um, now, as I said in scripture, you see this pattern come in Abraham, Jacob, Joseph, Elijah. Ruth, Esther, Jesus, Paul, etc. I mean, this. Everybody is going through testings in moments where they are alone, and you might feel this personally in this moment that God is far away. I'm sure all of us have said this at some point in time. God is just not here. He's just not interested in me. God doesn't care about me. I am alone. What can I do? You know, and this is, I think. God is such a good father that he allows those moments to come to us. He doesn't always coddle you. He doesn't always say, oh, you know, I'm right there next to you. You know, I'll do this for you. No, he wants you to know that there's more that you can give, more that you can do. And this brings us to the second part, which is the test. This is the test. Now, I've chosen this image because um, I've always been a huge admirer fan, loving supporter of very militaristic uh, physical training people, (laughs) call it that. It's horribly said, but um, what I mean is those people, yeah, Uh, Navy SEALs, Special Forces. I mean, I've watched documentaries on these people, like the kind of mindset you need to get through, you know, because... There's a lot of these guys out here, but probably about one-tenth of these people will survive this training. Because those instructors, those guys up there, their whole purpose is to make you quit. And there's interviews done with these guys. All they're trying to do is make you quit. They're no supportive system. You go into Navy SEALs training, the only thing they're trying to do is tell you you're not good enough, and they'll get in your head. You can't do it. You know what they have? right in smack the middle of the hardest training moments in Navy SEALs training is something called a hell week. It's called hell week for a reason because for one week, they are not allowed to sleep. No sleep at all. Just constant physical training. And um, Praveena's brother uh, did a version of that in Singapore, a naval diving unit, Um, and they have a hell week as well. And he said, you get to a point where you don't really know how you got Places, it's like teleporting. It's like you're there in the morning, and somehow you're eating lunch, and you have no idea what happened in between. You know, so it's it's insanely brutal, meant to meant to test you, and that's sometimes how I feel about um, God's testing. And, and this is uh, I had a privilege. We met somebody in in Germany who um, just got out of prison. He's an American, and he received Christ in prison. And he was moved, uh, because to, to Germany because he was in special forces. So he said that he started out with a hundred guys in his group and ten of them graduated. Um, and he spoke about the kind of, you know, attitude that you need. Uh, so he's an insanely focused guy, and it was great to like meet him and talk to him about all this stuff. Because, as I said, I love this. Um, so yeah, the test—the test is going to be difficult. Okay, um, don't 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 assume that it's the you know that. That it's, uh, it's going to be the same for you as for somebody else. Maybe they're going through something that you think, oh, I got that. I could do that. No problem. The testing is individual. And for you, it's going to be difficult. It's meant to test you. It's meant to, to try you. And um, the initial idea is that you don't want to go through this. Uh, now, my father loved to take me to the mountains. That was his thing also. He loved mountain climbing and hiking and all that. Um, And I remember being like seven years old and seeing like, I don't know, a 1,200 meter tall mountain that we're going to climb and just thinking, "Ah, I don't want to do this. I don't want to walk through. This is going to be painful. This is going to be terrible. How would I ever, you know, and that's exactly how the testing feels. It feels like how am I ever going to do this? How am I ever going to be able to make it through this? And the the actual word tempted, because it says that Jesus went to be tempted, is to try or test one's faith, virtue, character, by enticement to sin. Enticement to sin. So like those instructors, yeah, it's the same thing. They're going to try and make you sin. Hence, according to the context equivalent to to solicit to sin. So they're the tempter, his whole purpose is to be like that drill instructor. Now, if you think about it in the context of everything is for your good, suddenly it's no longer a bad thing. Because you know, I'm being tempted. That means that there's something here at the end of this process that is for my good. And I laugh at the people who feel like, you know, the devil is there to like take stuff away from them and steal their this and steal their that. And, you know, people who blame all kinds of stuff on the devil because the devil is under God's control. And everything that the devil does is ultimately used by God to produce good in you. So, yeah, you're tempted. You're you're under trial. It's difficult. That's true. But all of that is for your good. So it's not. At, as bad, if you put it in that light, the testing of your faith proves uh, our commitment and our passion. Um, this is this is really the only way that we can we can prove if we are, you know, if we're going to stay in our calling or not, is through the testing. Are you going to be there through the hard time? When we were in Cambodia, we well, we we had a miscarriage, and the miscarriage was not just. Simply a, a, a miscarriage for the point of it, but we had just moved. We were newlyweds, and we had gotten this promise of, of a baby. We were excited, and we, we, we went through this thing, and we, it wasn't even simple. Like most people, they can pass it through naturally, but we had to go through a whole, or we, we had to go through um, an operation, and it was painful, and it was tough, and it was completely unexplainable, and we had the hardest time in this moment. And we thought, why on earth would we be going through this? And like everybody from our families or most most definitely my family were telling me, oh, okay, so you're done with this missions things, right? Because come on, I mean, look at what's happened to you. Look at the fruit of your experience. And in that moment, we knew that the testing was going to come to see if we were going to stay or if we were going to leave. And of course, we decided to stay, and we made the commitment stronger than ever to say, no matter what, no matter what, we're going to do it. No matter what happens, we're always going to be doing missions. No matter what is coming against us, we will always do missions. It's always going to be our choice. Um, And we we often told God that unless we die, then we're just going to do missions. That's just our life now. And I love what Paul says, because Paul obviously went to this too. He says, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize, run in such a way as to get the prize. So there is a running involved, and there is a prize at the end, and it's not going to be easy, but everything is determined by how we run and how we do this and our decision. So be brave and courageous, because this thing that can really save you um, in terms of these things is your attitude and that brings us to part three so I don't know if, <laughs> if all of you know this person this this is Chuck Norris I mean he was uh, television doing all kinds of um, crazy thing he is the uh, American so he's doing like you know stopping a guy who is using like an electric saw to cut down a tree and he's stopping that with his bare hands you know that's the kind of stuff uh that is obviously very real that chuck norris does does but um this was part of the tv that i watched growing up you know the kind of shows that that i watched growing up um and yeah we can laugh at this and it can be funny but the one thing that chuck norris or people like chuck norris a team all of these things knight rider what have you what what was Really, what really was speaking to me at the time when I was watching this was the attitude of these people. I very recently rewatched the gladiator if you haven 't seen this movie it 's so awesome. I love this movie every time I watch it, I cry like fifty times um, because it 's about a man 's attitude in the face of a problem you know and that 's what I really love. I love um, this and 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 this was really cool to see because the thing that Jesus Really did that was different from everybody else that was put in a trial every man that was put in a trial before that was his attitude If you think about the kind of testing that came to Adam and Eve in the garden You know the, the kind of way they reacted to it and then the kind of attitude that Jesus has that is the defining difference And it came through a tiny little word that I never thought would impact but God showed this to me and it's really cool The thing about the attitude is this your attitude determines your success The way that you do it, see, when I was speaking to my friend, the guy who just got out of prison, who was in special service, uh, special um, forces, what he said that really helped, what what really put him through was the idea to not be in survival mode. If you're just going through your test to survive it, you're going to die in it. It's going to be so tough on you that eventually you will succumb to it. And I speak this out of experience. You can't do it that way. The thing you do it is by setting a goal. It's by saying, I'm not only going to get over this, but I'm just going to have a goal through it. So I'm going to overcome it. Overcome means go above, right? So that's what we're talking about, about going beyond. So survival mode is failure. You need a goal because goals are decisions. The moment you make a goal, you say, I have decided. Not only am I going through this, but I'm going to be over it. And then... Jesus fasted. Now, why is this important? Because at the beginning of the passage, it says he's led by the Spirit. But it says nothing about being led to fast. It says nothing about God telling Jesus, you must fast. This was his choice. It means he knew he was going to be tempted and still said, you know what? I'm not just going to go through this temptation as it is, feel it as a burden and go, okay, well, I'll just do what I got to do. No, he makes a choice. He fasts. And how much harder is the trial then if he has to go through the fasting process too? Gosh, that's like that's like amping it up to 10. It's like saying, not only am I going to be tested and tried, but you know what? I'm going to put this on myself too. I'm going to do something. There's an attitude of mind that I'm going to put forward. And this is exactly what Jesus does. He fasted. And I haven't really fasted that much in my life, but since we've been to Germany and we've moved there, there's such a huge fasting culture in the church that I've had opportunity to do this more and more. And what I've always found about fasting is that people want to avoid it as much as possible. Everybody will try to fast everything else. They'll say, oh, I'm, I'm fasting Facebook. And oh, I'm just gonna fast cutting my hair. And you know, like I had a person say, I'm fasting bad thoughts. Now that's cool and that's great, you know, but, Whenever you challenge those same people to say, "Have you tried like fasting food?" you you can hear it all. It all comes. No, well, you know, it's just that I feel because at work and it's tough, and I get headaches, and it's like, all right, sure. But the way that I see it, if you if you try this, try fasting food just for one day, and in that moment where you're supposed to eat, pray, or worship, or read your Bible, or whatever, go deeper, meet God closer you will find your relationship amps up to a different level so Jesus is smart he says I'm not only going to go through this testing with what I have on my back I'm going to draw 40 times nearer to God as I need to because 40 days of fasting that's a lot of relying on God and if you don't need to eat and you're in the wilderness what else are you going to do It's not like he brought a Rubik's cube or a comic book or something. He's got nothing to do. He's in the wilderness with nothing. He doesn't even have like the distraction of finding food. He's got nothing at all. All he's got is just him, the father, and the testing. That's it. And God is going to bring you in a place of such desertedness that it's just you, him, and the testing. And that's really what it gets to. That's what he wants to get to. He wants to... Skip and take away all that fakeness, all the mask that you put when you come to church on a Sunday to say that you're good and you're happy and everything's fine and you love this and love that. He's going to take all that away. Just get to your bare skeleton and work on the things that are in the basis of you, the basic things of your faith. And this is this is really important. Our attitude must be competitive when it comes to trials and tribulations. My greatest luck and my greatest blessing is to have married a very competitive woman. Um, It's not always seen that way, uh, because if you marry somebody very competitive, uh, ultimately you can't do basic things like play board games in a normal way anymore, uh, because you know that you are both going to try your best to not act like a married couple, but beat the crap out of each other and I managed to uh, officially say some derogatory words on the video Uh, so hooray for me 10 points Um, but that's 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 the point really what you're doing and and I remember this because I remember playing with other couples who are not so competitive and it's hilarious because they'll start saying you know you're playing Monopoly and and they start saying stuff like Oh honey, um, can I take some? Uh, you know, can I take some money from you and pay this loan? Hey, I gotta rent. Can I pay? Can I take a car? You've got the jail free. Car. Can I take the car? And yeah, sure, baby. Here you go. You know. And we're like, no way. Just keep your stuff. No, I'm not. No, if anything, you pay double. You know what I mean? We're we're like, you know. And 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 sometimes it does end in fights, but it's okay. Uh, it it all goes okay in the end. But that competitiveness, that 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 driving spirit. It has got to be in your trials and tribulations and I can always tell people that don't have a fire have not been through trials or they don't want to go through trials they'll just be comfortable but people who've got passion who've got fire have been through trials and tribulations if you don't believe me just talk to Barbara for five minutes because that's probably the most on fire person i ever met in my life why trials and tribulations man if there's anything that's going to spike you up, rev you up for the gospel, make you say, man, that is, that is wrong with the body of Christ. Man, we need to make a change there. Man, we need to speak to those people. It's going to be trials and tribulations that are going to put you in that position to do that thing. And we all know that after Jesus got tempted, the thing that he did right after temptation was to go into the villages and start spreading his message. Because I can tell you for sure that everything that he experienced in those 40 days and 40 nights gave him enough fuel and power to say, man, I'm going to bring this not only to the people of my area, but we're going to bring it to every village around. And this is going to be awesome. You're going to see how many people we're going to impact through this thing. So that's exactly it. It's going to rev up your fire. Wilderness moments are the moments our faith is stripped bare. The bigger the trial, the more Jesus we will need. So The thing that you need to do when you're going through a wilderness moment or you feel like you're in this weird, I'm alone moment, more Jesus, more scripture, more worship, more time. Just use that time to get closer so that you can draw because He is your source. You're not going to find anything better than Him to draw on. Nothing is ever going to make it better. No books can help you better. No, advice from any other people is going to help you better. The thing that's going to help you better is to grab and hold on to the Holy Spirit as hard as you can. And I know because that beautiful little boy over there um, has been testing and trying me for the past uh, four months of his life. You know, And I, I can read all the books I want and I can get all the advice that I need. But when it comes to the crunch moment, when it's 2 a.m. in the morning and he's been awake for three hours and doesn't want to sleep and has been screaming in my ear to the point where I can only hear very high-pitched noises, um, you know that that is a moment where unless I pray, unless I do, unless I try to draw close, I'm going to lose it. You know, and I don't want to lose it. I want to go through it and I want to get better. And this is this is really the point because the testings are all about this one thing Um, part four is identity this this is what really is at the heart of it all your identity the person you see in the mirror you know the person that you see the person that God sees is 90% of the time not the same person and we need to grow and we need to step up to become that person that God sees in us and the only way to do that or the best way that God has figured to do that is through tests and trials Now, um, identity can be a struggle, Um, it is often an area of testing. You got these questions, am I good enough, am I doing the right thing, can I make it? Um, As a young man growing up, moved many different countries, grew up in super different economical situations every time, um, had to do with completely radically different people. And as much as that was a blessing, it confused me deeply. And I had absolutely no idea who I was. In fact, I was picking out identities. So I would create all kinds of stories about who I was. And I remember uh, famously there was uh, this moment in my life. I say famously because I've shared it like all all the time because I just think it's hilarious. But um, I was in high school and I was telling all my friends that I could skateboard really well. You know, because that was the culture that I was in, you know, rebel, that kind of stuff. And I told them all I could skateboard really well. So I was wearing the clothes so they could believe me. You know, I knew the terminology because I played the video games of the skateboarders and all this. So I knew all the stuff and I'd watched the videos. I knew. Um, and so I got everybody to kind of believe that I was this really amazing skateboarder. And, um, you know, everybody always said, Hey, why don't you come to the park? We're going to skate park. It's going to be awesome. And I was like, yeah, man, you know, my mom broke my board. That was my excuse. Cause my mom was such a fiery demon that she broke my skateboard and just threw it in the fire. You know, gosh, have pity on me. You know, how, how hard is my life? So that's what I was, I was telling people. And then, um, of course lies do end up uh, catching up to you. And so I was at a, I was walking by, um, uh, what's that? One of the the malls in Orchard where there used to be a skate park there, Cine Leisure. Um, I was walking by Cine Leisure and I hear, Ricky, Ricky, Ricky. And I'm like, oh, okay. I turn around and it's my skater friends who are there with their boards. And then they're all like, come, come skate with us. And I was like, I had nothing. I had nothing. And so I thought, and i don't know what i'm gonna do now i said hey come come try the half pipe you know half pipe is like sort of like a tall ramp that kind of goes only half the way doesn't go full way it just kind of goes half so (laughs) i went to the half pipe and then i did what i saw in the videos okay um now just for like future advice if you're gonna try this stuff just watching the videos it's not good enough. It's just not good enough. So I got there and I, you know, I'm doing the thing. I'm looking the part. Okay. And I'm like, man, it's going to be great. They're all going to be blown away. Somehow I'm going to be just a natural. And so I go down on the half pipe. Now what you got to do on the half pipe is you got to let your body kind of lead through it. You got to kind of let it go up and down through the curve. What I did, however, was to just kind of like do a little jump So I kind of landed with the board kind of sort of perpendicular to where the curve was. And if you know any physics at all, what that does is uh, it sends the board flying uh, pretty much far away from you and it sits you on your butt. Uh, So I hit my butt really hard on the half pipe and all my friends were just like looking at me weird like, what, what happens? Like, oh, yeah, I don't know. It's just the board. Eventually, I had to give up my act, and they found out that you know that I was of course lying. Um, <laughs> but uh, but but it it taught me this this really important thing about identity that I didn't really know who i was and so i joined my my idea of of solving that was to join a theater group which probably didn't help with that at all because that's just pretty much changing your identity according to what play you're in um but that was pretty comfortable for me um but there was one thing that did give me security which um when i was in the i got i got drafted into the army singapore army and i was in a huge moment of wilderness myself. I was alone. I knew nobody. I didn't know the local culture. And the only, I had just given my life to Christ. And the only thing that I had was my Bible to keep me company and to sort of use to get through stuff. And so I started reading the Psalms and I started reading different books of the Bible to deal with this solitude that I had inside. And the thing that helped me the most is Psalm 139. I didn't copy it here because it's a really long passage. And I don't know when a good through everything but it speaks about how God knitted us in the womb and it's got that passage that says how we are fearfully and wonderfully made and I realized that my identity is in him and that's where I started I started building my identity on his word and what his word tells about me and what his word says not my circumstance that was my identity and if you look at the amazing replies that Jesus gives, he never ever entertains anything that the devil speaks into his identity. He never tries to say, oh, you know, I really am the son of God because of this, this, this. And he doesn't try to logically answer it. No, he just says, it is written. That's his awesome reply to all of this. It is written. And the tempter is always asking this this question. He's always going to ask you if you are the son of God. Hey, If you are the Son of god why don 't you move to that country that you know you said you were going to move to right now? maybe it 's not the time for you, but you know if you are the son of god why don 't you do that? Hey, if you are the Son of God, why are you in such a bad economic situation doesn 't God love you so there 's all these questions that will come and will speak directly to your identity and the only thing that can help you is part five scripture and we know that the Bible says that The word of God is a lamp unto our feet. And as I said before, Jesus replied all these statements with the words, it is written. And I I love what Ephesians 6 says, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So the thing that he used to fight all these things was not reason. He didn't try to punch the devil. I mean, I guess that could have been the thing. The devil comes, if you are the son of God, bam, you know. But that's, that wasn't, so violence was not the answer, obviously. Um, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That was Jesus' reply. Again, going back to the Garden of Eden, much better way of dealing with things than to try and argue and reason with the person who's tempting you and say, well, it's not actually that I can't, it's that I can't do this and this. No, no, no. Simply, it is written. And this is so important for us. We We can never stop diving into Scripture, looking into what the Word of God says, I can never take that for granted. Because there's so many countries, so many people that don't even have that at all. So I can't take that for granted. I've got to grab onto God's Word every single day and to look into what it says and what it speaks about my identity so that I can grow and I can mature. Of course, knowing Scripture is not enough because the devil knew Scripture too. He could quote scripture right back, misquote it, but he could also quote it right back. And then he said, um, and so what I, what I think is very important is not only do we need to know scripture, but we need to apply it daily in our life. And this goes to the next part, which is your calling. Now, the, the Bible says that um, there are some jars made for common use and some for special use. It doesn't matter which one you are, but your calling is that part which the Scripture is going to activate. It's that part that the Scripture is going to speak right into you, where you're going to use Scripture, use your identity, use the testing all the time. Now, it's it's fascinating that the devil spoke twice and says, if you are the Son of God. But the last time, he dropped that completely. He understood that's not going to work at all. I'm going to try a different approach. And so instead of that, he just tries to speak into Jesus is calling. He tries to say, look, this thing that you're going to do about saving mankind, there's another way for you to do it. I could just give you all the dominion over the earth, and then bam, that thing you had to do, that cross, you've got to do that. That's painful. Why would you want to get nailed to a cross? Why would you want to do that? That's crazy. No, I'm going to give you a much better way. Look, I'm going to give you all this. All you got to do is just Worship me. And so he was trying to deviate Jesus away from his calling. And this is what's sometimes going to happen in moments of testing, is that our calling is going to get tested. It says, the last, I put it, um, the last tempting of the enemy uh, no longer goes for Jesus' identity, but his calling. And one of the biggest problems in the body of Christ is a lack of pursuit and operation of individual calling. That is, it's the saddest thing that I see. We, su- we serve a church of a lot of people, really a lot of people, and so few people are interested in their calling. So many people are comfortable just coming on Sunday, sitting down, hearing a message that's really good for them, and then doing nothing about it, hearing about the kind of things that are written in the Bible for them to do, and then doing absolutely nothing about it. So many people go to church and don't feel a need to serve that church at all. Just think, well, somebody will do it. Somebody will put that stuff up. Somebody will do the chairs or whatever. I don't need to be a part of that at all. And I see that as the biggest problem because it's a fattening. It's just a fattening. You're going to church to get fat, to get fed and fed and fed. And that's just not what you were designed to do. You were not designed just to be saved and then continue on with your life until you die. You were designed to go out and to do crazy, amazing things, not because you are amazing, but because the calling on your life is so much greater. Do you think that if I went back to I 12, 13 years ago and I spoke to the me back then and I told him, oh, you're going to be in Germany, you're going to be doing this, I would have never, ever believed that at all. I didn't even want to get married. I just thought the idea of marriage was ludicrous. So... There's so many things that God brings out of you, that does with you, that just puts you in this operation and makes you in the testing, in the, in, the, in the trial, helps you to operate in your calling, helps you to become more aware of what your calling is, and helps you to propel that forward. And Jesus knew his calling. It was not an easy one, but he was not swayed. And that was the most important thing. If you don't know your calling, then you're just you're just never gonna know what you're really meant to do. So every time that a, a person comes and has an opinion, or somebody comes and says something to you, if you don't know your calling, you're just gonna get swayed. You're just gonna start doing something else, or maybe somebody is gonna come and say, oh, you know, energy crystals are really the way to life. So you should invest in all these energy crystals Because that's God. And and we might laugh at this stuff, but we've got people that are in church that are saying crazy stuff like this. There's all kinds of people that are starting ministries of, you know, the Holy Spirit is a woman. So we need to worship women because women are the only ones that can house the Holy Spirit. And we need to follow because the word ruach, which is the Hebrew word for the spirit is female. The spirit is female, period. And there's all kinds of like things that are starting that are being done and people that are being swayed by all this stuff and theology and ideas. And I'm telling you, if you've got a calling, if God has given you a calling, you will never be swayed by any of this stuff at all because you're going to know. You're going to know the way. You're going to know that this is what you got to do. And I remember that we were preaching in another church in a, in a village, and we had a pastor who um, asked if he could pray for us. And so we said, sure. And then uh, he had a ministry to go out into the jungles and speak to the native people in the jungles. And then he needed people for his ministry. And we knew that. And we knew what our calling was. We knew we needed to go back to Germany. And so this person speaks to us and prays for me and just says, oh, I see you serving in the jungle, speaking to the people, you know, exactly in the area of ministry that he needed. And I thought, all right. So I know this is bogus, you know, but what if I didn't? What if I didn't have a calling? What if I was just looking for purpose, you know, and I heard that and I thought, yeah, gosh, I need to do that. That would have brought me so far away from the purpose that God had for me. So we need to be aware of our calling and sometimes that takes time. Sometimes it's, it's not easy. Sometimes it's not what you want to do. And um, I'll be straight with you, this, this week has not been super easy for us for many reasons. Um, but we've also had people, some of our disciples back home, that have decided that really what they wanted to do is not attached to the ministry they're currently serving. That maybe God has called them to do something else. And as we spoke to them, we found out that the true reason is when we're not there, there's nobody speaking into their calling. There's nobody helping them go through it. And in the trial and in the testing, they are being swayed by somebody that's trying to put them somewhere else. So we knew that we had to reinstate. We had to talk and reaffirm the idea that, look, you've got to follow what God told you to do. That is the most important thing in your life. Just do that till the end. And then, of course, they understood that, um, you know, that what they were saying was not really what God wanted at all. And so they repented and then they said, yeah, you're right. And now they're, they're back on the straight road. But this will happen, you know. this You'll be tested and tried to see if you're willing to go through with the calling that God has for you. And the last part um, is the blessing. I mean, Jesus says, remain in me as I remain in you, and you will bear fruit. You'll bear much fruit. It says, just, he, lo- he says it twice because it's so important. You're just gonna bear fruit if you remain in me. And that's exactly the case. If you if we remain and we stay faithful to the calling, to the cause, we will bear fruit. And it can't it can't can't be easy always, but we know that at the end at some point there is gonna be a blessing. Of course we don't do it for the blessing, but the blessing comes. And we've been here just a few weeks and we have been so blessed in this time that we've been here. It's just crazy. We've been tested and tried in all kinds of ways, but we've been so amazingly blessed. Actually, our whole life, we've been amazingly blessed. And that is because we are allowing ourselves to go through the trial and the tribulation. We are working on our identity. We are diving into Scripture. We are acknowledging our calling, and we're just staying true. It wasn't easy to, to wait two years and to try and fail to go into Germany and be rejected and be... Uh, you know, put away and have people tell us that we should not be there and that we chose the wrong country and all kinds of stuff. It wasn't easy to do that at all. But we knew the calling, so we stayed true. And now, gosh, there's such a rich blessing there. So stay your course, remain, because what happened at the end of um, everything was that angels came to attend Jesus. Angels came. It doesn't say that God said, all right, you can leave the wilderness now. Um, there's a Seven Eleven down the street. You can grab some stuff there. No, angels came to attend to him. Angels, to me, this is God's favor, God's blessing, God's provision, just raining down on him after all that he had to go through. So stay your course, remain. And um, I love again what Paul says that we are going to be changed from glory to glory. So the testing is just going to keep on happening. And I love something Stephen said once to me that has helped me so much because he said, for me, the testing of my faith is like God takes me and stretches me and he stretches me to the point where I feel like I'm about to die within inches of that and then lets me go. And then the next time he just takes that and stretches me a little bit further and does it again. Because like I said, God just knows how much more you can achieve. And if, Your faith, and if the level that you could grow in your faith was based on what you thought you could do, it would be so stunted. But God has just so much more invested in you than you could ever think. And it's not you, the individual who is blessed in the church. It's every single person, every single person in this room, every single person at home, every single person that doesn't even yet believe. When you walk down the streets, when I walked the MRT, every person that I see, and there's a lot of people in this country, all I see is just how much potential there is in every single person. Every single person's got a calling. Every single person's got a future. Every single person has a purpose that God put on their life. They're not choosing it, maybe, but it's there. And, you know, when when we think about how do we love people, man, that's that's got to be the thing that helps me the most. When I see how much... God has invested in a person, and that I was exactly like every single person right there. I was also walking, not knowing, ignorant, but there was just so much potential invested in me by God himself, and I'm so blessed. So we saw these things. Um, There's sort of three phases, as I see it, of the anatomy of testing. The first one is the preparation phase where we are thrown into this wilderness. There's this test, and all that really matters is our attitude towards it. The second phase is the actual testing phase. And here, we're just going to be tested in our identity, in our knowledge, in our ability to incorporate Scripture, and in our calling. And the last one is the rewards phase, where we're just going to experience God's blessing after having gone through this whole ordeal. So, this was... um, This was the message that I had for today, and I hope it's blessed you.